There are an estimated 50,000 Latinas living with HIV in the United States today. In 2020, there were 5,450 new HIV infections in women. Confessions is a podcast that follows the lives of six women who share their journeys. The women in this podcast courageously share their stories and the pain they've endured, raising awareness and breaking down barriers. Their voices are powerful and necessary in promoting empathy. Let's listen and learn from their experiences. I received my diagnosis as of last year at a nonprofit called Bienestar, and from there I was commended to Children's Hospital LA, from which there I would also start my hormone replacement therapy and the ART. I was born in Long Beach, California. Two weeks after I was born, I ended up moving to Tijuana. I lived there for a good three, four years. Then I would move to LA, shifting from city to city. And now I reside in Pomona. My mom worked in San Isidro. My dad, he was working as well. They had the house in TJ, but they also had an apartment in San Diego, so we would alternate throughout the day. I just remember just being in the red van, waiting, slowly passing by with every car moving up until they're like, all right, you can pass. I feel very blessed to have that experience. Growing up in TJ, there was definitely more accessibility to the kids or the community around you. Meanwhile, here, I kind of struggled with that socialization aspect. Growing up, I went to school mostly in Roland Heights. I tried to make a lot of friends, but I didn't really succeed in that. I was bullied because I did have like effeminate behavior at the time. I was presenting as a boy at the time. I was still unaware of my identity. I also was very active within my church. I grew up in a Jehovah's Witness household. I felt like I couldn't really socialize with everybody else because I was told not to, or tried to avoid and make friends that are within the congregation. I really cared for my mom and I really cared for my dad. I grew up seeing them fight a lot, uh, just a lot of arguments, a lot of like unnecessary like words being said. I kind of just remember like staying to the side and just trying to wait until like they finished and then try to like comfort my mom or whatever happened. I always felt like I had to be like a mediator from a young age or be the person to just be like, okay, is everything all right? Like, can we do our thing, you know? Otherwise, now I feel like my relationship so far with my parents, it has been improving just as I'm being able to age more and being able to express myself and let them know where my boundaries stay. I've always had a feminine behavior. Like, I always love playing around with my mom's lipstick. They would yell at me and be like, no, you're not supposed to do that. Like, you're messing up our stuff. At the time, I didn't know what gender dysphoria was. Once I started seeing kind of those, those signs and symptoms and started relating them to each other, that's when I was like, oh, that's why I've been feeling like this. And I remember telling myself, you know what, it's probably true, but I don't have like the emotional space right now to like actually do that. So let me hold it in for a couple years once I'm ready to come out and do that. Last year, I admitted myself into a psychological residential because, well, to my parents, I was smoking a lot of marijuana, so they were like, we need you to get help. But in my head, I was like, no, I need to do it so I can come out. I need the safe space. 
because I didn't feel safe coming out as trans to my family or my parents just like that without feeling like I would risk losing housing or worsening my relationships with them. I knew I had the privilege, not only that, that space, safe space so I can come out, but also focus on what I needed to do so I can improve that and leave some negative attributes from my past. Sadly, I was in a couple situations from the age of 12 where I got through some traumatic essay experiences with a family friend and that had caused me to go down this spiral of getting myself trafficked. And for a good five years, I was being used for money for sexual favors and all of that. I knew it's like I had to stop and I need to get tested. I was starting experimenting and I started watching gay porn and stuff and of course I got caught. My mom didn't know what to do in that situation so that's when she called on to my dad. My dad didn't know what to do either because now his only son is gay. He had this friend, he was also practicing like psychology illegally on like older individuals and my dad was one of those individuals. My dad for some reason thought, okay let me take him to him because the guy said that he could cure me. He started taking advantage of me and he started saying like, oh, well, do you like this? Do you like that? And this is like a man in his 50s, 60s. 12-year-old me didn't know what to do. He, of course, like many others, told me that I would get in trouble for speaking out. And he would also get in trouble and made me feel guilt-tripped to not say anything. So I really wouldn't have spoken about this until three, four years after that. But while that was going on, he was basically training me to, to have sex for money. Because he would give me money afterwards. I would smoke a lot of marijuana. So he knew that if he gave me money for marijuana, I would stay quiet. Around 15, going on to 16, once I told him the next day, we went down to Huntington Park and we made the police report. At that point, I was already stuck in the sex trafficking. I was already letting myself be used by multiple men all over the city for small amounts of money and I was really depressed and stuck in a hole. When I was in that residential, I got really sick. I got the first symptoms of HIV where you feel like you have the flu, you start getting chills. They couldn't find out what was wrong with me. I had requested that they tested me and they said, you're going to have to wait until you leave. So I remember once I did get tested and receive that diagnosis, I was just like, bro, because it was a rapid test. I was just like, oh, okay, I should just go in real quick and leave and it's going to be fine. But when I got the test saying they detected antibodies, I just remember I just froze like, uh, what is going to go on now? How do I tell my mom? She was in the room next to me waiting for me to come out. So I'm like, how am I going to tell her now? I felt like I had to close out mentally. Of course, I had told my mom, because I was still a minor, and she needs to be aware of that. She, of course, started freaking out. The reason why the diagnosis kind of hit hard for me was about six months prior to that, I had gone to my primary healthcare physician to ask for PrEP. He didn't know what PrEP was. He refused to prescribe it to me, and instead he just referred me to an infectious disease specialist. Of course, I was never able to get in contact with them because I would have needed to go to my mom. So now I can't access it.
at the time I had just moved to Pomona and I was still unaware of a lot of the like nonprofit resources around there that provide like testing or STIs. Immediately after my diagnosis, my mom had told me to keep it a secret. But little did I know she was telling everybody in the family. That's when it became kind of weird because it's like you want it to be a secret, but now you're telling everybody. She generally felt like I was going to die. I knew HIV isn't a death sentence anymore. You know, there's drugs that can help me achieve undetectable status and remain undetectable, in which now I am. The stigma was very prevalent still within my family. And even though she had some education on it, she still held on to a lot of those harmful standards. I remember once my dad had found out, he was telling me, he's like, I don't want you sharing cups with anybody. I don't want you doing this. I don't want you sharing the same restroom. And I'm like, sir, calm down. Like, you're getting different diseases and infections confused. I really don't have that many friends. I will say I have acquaintances, but otherwise I never really had someone to really tell about that. Again, I had just came out of residential after, I think, 45 days. I knew basically no one, and I was restricted. The only places I could go were the nonprofits where they had support groups. I will say there, that's where I did find that acceptance. I started going to another trans support group called Hermanas and they opened up for me like immediately and they provided so many resources and they were so welcoming me. It was a shock that at such a young age someone was positive when most of the individuals in these groups were past their 30s. I felt like it was kind of refreshing for them seeing like okay we're not the only generation that still deals with this like this is still very much a real issue that needs to be addressed. I am in a relationship with somebody and I have disclosed my, my HIV status. During the first day, I didn't let them know. The second day, I did because at the time I already knew I was undetectable, but we had had relations and I really cared about this individual. When I told him, he didn't say anything, he just hugged me. Like I just froze and shut up because now not only was I being listened to, but now I was being held. He knew that he was gonna be there to support me. And now actually, as of yesterday, I got him on prep. When I first got my diagnosis, I was not only just scared to tell anybody, but I didn't want to have any sort of relationship with anybody in general, just out of that fear of like, well, I've already gone through this much. Why would I put other people through what I've been through? After my diagnosis, I had to learn how to love myself because now I have to take medicine consistently, but I also have to think, okay, what am I doing right now? that is gonna affect my physical lifestyle, but as well my emotional. Now I don't care. I mean, I tell people all, most of the time now, like, hey, I'm HIV positive, just letting you know. HIV undetectable status means that after taking your medications, so for example, I'm on Bictarvi. I've been taking my Bictarvi now for almost a year and a half. Basically with that medication, my viral load has been suppressed enough where it isn't detected. As long as they can't detect it within the blood test, I can transmit it. Undetectable means untransmittable and also means healthier lifestyle. Means you're less at risk of opportunistic infections or getting sick that easy. Of course, take the meds every day as instructed. 
because of my HIV diagnosis, it also got me into more on wanting to educate others about the stigma and led me to an opportunity. I'm actually going to be able to go to Washington DC for Institute of Queer Youth Advocates and it means a lot to me because I feel like, wow, like now I, now I can learn more and I can really get into this and I can really make something out of this and do something and I'm not only just helping myself but I'm also helping my community. So I feel very, very privileged to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and follow us. This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Family AIDS Network in collaboration with The Women Together and produced by Mejia.tv.